Hi, I'm Natalie from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm Zach from Madison, Wisconsin. Hi, I'm Kent from Denver. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like me. If you'd like to support the show like I did, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. I'm Jesse Thorne. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, it's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, Jeff Garland, is a veteran stand-up comedian, improviser, actor, writer, and director. Uh, He's probably best known for his role as Jeff, the manager and best friend of Larry on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, He's also been a stand-up comedian for many, many, many years, and as a director has written, directed, and starred in in an acclaimed feature film called I Want Someone to Eat Cheese With, and has directed, gosh, all kinds of other stuff, including stand-up specials for uh, Jon Stewart and Dennis Leary and a one-man show starring Mr. John Waters. Let's hear a clip from season eight of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which just started on HBO. Uh, in this scene, uh, Larry and Jeff are discussing where to have lunch. I, I don't know. I'll eat anything. There's a great Mexican place like right down the road. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. Not you Mexican. want Mexican? No. Sushi. Sushi's fantastic. Nice and light. I, I, I'm reading all this mercury stuff. I'm scared to get sushi. I can't, I can't eat sushi. How about some Italian? Want to get some pasta? I don't like to have hot food for lunch. What about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? I don't want bread. I don't want to have bread. Like a plate with peanut butter and jelly just on a plate with a fork? <sighs> well, what do you get so stressed out about this for? I can't decide. It's lunch! Let, let's go to Jolene. I'll get that spinach salad with some soup. That's good. Fantastic. Jeff Garland, welcome to The Sound of Young America. It's good to be here. You know, I am the sound of young America. That's true. That's why we booked you on the show. We did, yes. a, we did some brainstorming. We did have young some Americans online voting. Young Americans love me, and my, the timber of my voice represents young America. I actually want to ask you a question about people loving you, because as I was watching some episodes from the new season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, thinking about talking to you, I realized that... Well, I thought of your character, Jeff, as sort of the the sort of moral counterpoint to Larry's character. Actually, your character, Jeff, is every in fact, probably less moral than Larry David's character, just almost unimaginably. I don't know if I'd say immoral, but at least amoral. Yes, Uh, he has no morals, no integrity. He only cares that he gets through the day and Susie doesn't yell at him and Larry and his other clients make lots of money. It's an interesting thing to watch on screen because I realized as I saw it and and you must realize because you've also always been a, a producer on the show and have directed the show that there are things that you can do and get away with just because of your screen presence that would be very difficult for somebody else to do. Well, that's thank you for the observation, but that's not something I think about uh, at all. I, I am very unconscious in terms of what I'm doing and what I represent and all that sort of stuff. You helped create Curb Your Enthusiasm at the very, very beginning, even when it started off as a sort of pseudo stand-up special. Right. Tell me a little bit about uh, where it came from. 
Well, I, I, I was on the road with both Dennis Leary and John Stewart developing their HBO specials and directing what you saw on the stage. I didn't direct the cameras for it, but the actual show I, I would develop. I don't want to say direct. I developed with John and with Dennis. And while I was on the road with them, I thought, you know what would make a great HBO special is the making of an HBO special. And then you don't even have to have the HBO special. And you go and you see what it's about. And I was thinking of getting out of acting and performing and just focusing on directing. And Larry and I were at lunch and he was asking me questions about stand-up. And I told him that I had something that I thought would be perfect for him. And I told him about it. And... Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> it's interesting because you have to find somebody. You have to find a stand-up comedian who wants to do a stand-up comedy special but does not want to show any of their stand-up comedy. Right. Right. Well, Larry was the perfect guy. How did you know him? From stand-up. I met him at first. I met him uh, in... Uh, in New York, I met him. He didn't really remember meeting me, I think, in New York. He, like, I was in the back of his head. Uh, and then we met in Chicago. He was coming through Chicago to – I was performing downtown, and he came by the club, and he remembered me. And then we sort of kept on bumping into each other over the years. And so we were acquaintances, uh, you know, both stand-ups and, and had the same friends and that sort of thing. And and uh, so when I, I was writing a – uh, pilot for CBS, actually, with a writer named Alan Zweibel that was going to be the companion show to um, Everybody Loves Raymond. And they chose uh, the show King of Queens instead of my show. And um, Larry, one day, shared an office with Alan, and he said, you want to go to lunch? And that's when it all started. What do you remember of him as a performer? Like, I remember I didn't know who... Larry David was other than him being a name in the credits until until a, a like a like a New Yorker profile that ran right when that stand up special was about to air. Right. How did you think of him as as a stand up performer rather than as a you know obviously exceptionally successful you know the co creator of one of the most successful well television seeing him before ever. there was always a level of excitement because you never a because he was funny and b you never knew what he was going to do. Because sometimes he would look at the audience, and if he didn't like the way they looked, he'd go, eh, not tonight, and walk off stage. <laughs> yeah. and uh, Is that he, a thing he did, like, more than a time? Yes. Yes, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> How did he get another booking? It doesn't work that way. What I mean by that is he was a New York comic playing the New York clubs. There's no real booking. Like when you go to Cincinnati, you're booked into Cincinnati and you're making a substantial paycheck and people um, are paying to see you specifically. But when he was doing this, he was on a show with 15 other comedians and each comedian did 15, 20 minutes. So if he screwed up, there was always the next person. I remember reading that story in in that New Yorker profile, I think, and trying to figure out like, what what he could see from the stage that would be the clincher. <laughs> it didn't take much. It could be just somebody t whispering to somebody while he's on stage. What do you think worked about that 
that special uh, that made you and he and, and some of your other collaborators want to expand it into a series? Well, I know when we were first shooting it, um, the very first scene, we were having such a good time. He said to me, wouldn't it be great to do this as a series? And, I, you know, I'm thinking, well, that's Larry David and, you know, sure, yeah, of course, yes, I'd love to. Little did I know that I'd be here however many years later doing season eight. What do you enjoy the most about making the show? Well, you know, each, I guess... Um, when I'm filming scenes with Larry and being on camera with him is is, is really enjoyable. Um, also, watching him in scenes, you know, when I'm just being a producer. Um, I think the thing that I enjoy most, if there's a thing with the most pleasure, it's when he's done writing the uh, episodes and he sends them to me. What do you- so I'm the first person, I'm going to say the first person, there's other producers and such, but I'm one of the first people to see what the episodes are. What does he send you? What's that? He sends me the outlines. Tell me about like what what you like like what you actually get like what those outlines. It's are. like you know a normal sitcom script is like 35 pages. A curb your enthusiasm script is about seven pages, and it's really a, none of the dialogue and all of the action. So the entire story is there for me to read. Do you do you remember when you when you first got one of those like for for season one of of Curb and, and what your reaction was? Awe. <laughs> that was my reaction. Awe of like, wow! I can't believe I'm involved in this. I can't believe we're doing this, uh, and and I can't believe how great this is. What he's written. It's something that is both so. I mean, it is so completely improvised, but it's also. It is also as intricate as any comedy, certainly on television. I mean, it has well, it's a, probably it, more intricate than any comedy on television in terms of intricacies. But you know, the story is what's intricate, you know, and and how he pulls it together and it comes along in the end. But remember, we'll do a take, and then we'll all discuss what we need to do to make the take better, not only in performance but story wise. It's interesting. It's interesting that to have that discussion because it's a, it's it's unusual, I think, to have a show that has both that kind of collaboration and the sort of distinctive auteur uh, authorial voice of Larry David so strongly. Well, he he puts all of himself into those into those um, uh, outlines, and then when we're working, he's he's you know. Nobody works harder on the show than Larry. No one. I'm talking about like really working hard, you know. Sometimes I'll go home. He doesn't go home ever. This is so good. Unbelievable. Thank you. It's like eating a delicious sponge. Huh? It's like eating a delicious sponge. Did I tell you? I haven't seen that. sponge cake since my grandmother's mahjong game. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. That doesn't mean that it's not good. Where'd you get it? Uh, it doesn't matter. They're, they're going out of business. Well, where? Tell me. It's moot. They're going out of business. It's not moot. That's they're moot. That's not moot. How's that not moot? It's not moot. It's totally moot. They're going out of they're business, They're going out of Jeff. business. I what do you know need it? to know? It's not a moot oh, point. It's fine. It's, it's, it's Butterman's. That's a good bakery. They're going out of business. Yeah, they're going out of business. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Those poor people. Yeah. Well, maybe they're retiring. I don't know. Anyway, where's the bathroom? 
That was Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm, alongside my guest, Jeff Garland, who's not just an actor, writer, director, and producer, but also a stand-up. His most recent special was called Young and Handsome. Here's a clip. So I was in Nashville. I went to dinner with a friend of mine, and the waiter's seating us, and uh, he gives us our menus, and uh, he says, uh, you look familiar. Do I know you? Where do I know you from? You know? Now, I've got the perfect level of fame. You either uh, see me, and you're happy to see me, and you say nice things to me, or you walk right past me having a, you don't know who the, who the hell I am. Who is that? You're not even thinking who is that, because you don't know me. I don't look like you should know me. And there's the middle ones, which are like, I know you. What do I know? So I said to my friend, I go, was I just a to him? Should I have told him who I was? He goes, no, you're fine. I go, no, I feel like I was, you know, when he comes back, I'm going to explain who I am. You know. So he comes back and I say, hey, I just want to let you know, um, I'm uh, uh, Jeff Garland. I'm a comedian. I'm an actor. I uh, do lots of different things. I, I'm on TV. I'm in the movies. And well, there, there you go. And he looks at me and he says, ah, good for you. <laughs> Who's the d-? I, I watched your last stand-up special. And one of the things that struck me about it was that it was so, it was so loose uh, relative to most stand-up specials. It looked like somebody who was on stage feeling funny rather than somebody who was on stage uh, delivering a, a, a routine that they'd, you know, honed right. on the road because they knew that this, this works, this works, this works, this works, and that way right. there's no breaks. Well, uh, that's my style of performing. Actually, what was different than that and was different a lot of times is I generally will go up plenty of times with no material and have no idea what I'm going to talk about, and I'm completely comfortable with it. I think... If I was to give myself credit for anything, I am the most comfortable comedian in show business. That's a really interesting descriptor to me. I know. I'd love to be able to say I'm the funniest, but there's plenty of people who are as funny as me or funnier than me, but there are none who are as relaxed as me. Do you think that 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 comfort as a performer is part of why you can be so horrible on screen and curb and people still uh still want to like follow your adventures right well that's possible but i certainly will never analyze why an audience likes me or my character Uh, i try not to even analyze comedy too much because i feel that takes it's something that's hard to analyze I leave it to other people. I One time I, I was out with a, a comedian who, who really wasn't a very smart guy, but not a developed comedian. And he analyzed what I was doing and analyzed this. And I'm not making up. I wasn't funny for like a month after because <laughs> I was too in my head. Um, yeah, it was it took about a month to come out of it. When you're developing a, a stand-up special with... John Stewart or, or Dennis Leary, what does that mean? It means that every night I watch their set and I tell them what I think they can do better to get across whatever point or whatever joke it is that they're trying to get. Um, and I'll say, cut this. This is rambling. Here's what you can do here. Here's something funny you might be able to say there. And it's sort of molding the material. You're co-writing the material to a degree. And you're also, you know, with John, I had to focus more on performance and less on content. And with Dennis Leary, he's such a natural performer, but you have to focus more on content than you do on the performance. 
in addition to uh, directing stand-up comedy specials, you also worked with John Waters, who's been a guest on this show a couple times and is basically the most delightful person ever. He is the most delightful person ever. Like he's he basically transformed. He is he is just he's a joy to be around. Um I was just with him doing a uh he had his paperback um just come out recently and he and I did at Largo in Los Angeles uh Jeff Garland in conversation with John Waters and it was so much fun. And it wasn't an interview, it was just a conversation that we had. You know, the kind of guy that uh, John Waters makes every effort to hang out around is someone who is as remarkable as a person could be. Right. In any area. Right. Not just remarkably good or just any, just um, someone who is a thousand percent of something. Right. And your stage persona anyway is to be like a hundred percent of a real regular decent fella. Right. So I just have I have a really hard time reconciling those two things. Like imagining uh, imagining you being like, you know who I, I want to direct? Mr. John Waters and John well, Waters. You know what's so thinking, funny is I mean our agent put it together. But here's the thing you have to understand. I think the thing that John likes about me uh is that I am kind and I am but I but I'm also um, what, what's, uh, uh, I'm also interested in other people. So I'm very interested in him and I'm interested in learning from him and I'm interested in getting the most from him. You know, my, I met with him. He didn't have to work with me. I met with him and he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't want to move the cameras. I will cut when I have to. Um, I'll get different coverage in terms of from different camera angles. But I said, you're cinematic. I don't want this to be cinematic. You're going to be the cinematic portion of what I'm going to shoot. When you're sitting and watching a performer, there's not a lot of movement unless the performer moves. You're not moving. So I thought, let me give somebody the feeling that they're in the audience watching John Waters. Because so often when I watch any kind of performance, whether it be a band, a comedian, there's all these cuts and it's just so distracting and it actually annoys me so i went the opposite with working with him and he dug that and uh, that's why it ended up working it, it seems to me like your interest in other people has been one of the defining characteristics of your career you've had so many amazing relationships i mean we haven't even discussed the fact that you were you know conan o'brien's roommate or right. Or that every single one of the, I mean, uh, your movie is is full of brilliant actors, and they're all people that you had some relationship with. Yes, very much so. Do you think that's always been part of you as a as a creator? Is that that feeling of wanting to pull something out of other people? Most definitely, most definitely. Whether someone's unknown or known. Um, to me, collaboration and and making this that's what makes life interesting is being uh, interested in other people <laughs> and what they can do. I mean, Jack Benny, who's my all time favorite comedian, maybe the nicest comedian of all time. But one thing that he was known for that I take pride in is being a great audience of other performers. 
After a break, I'll talk with comedian Jeff Garland about his feature film, I Want Someone to Eat Cheese With. It's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Jeff Garland. He co-stars in Curb Your Enthusiasm, which has just returned for its eighth season on HBO. He also wrote, directed, and starred in the very funny feature film, I Want Someone to Eat Cheese With. In the movie, Jeff Garland's character is an actor based in Chicago, one who hasn't really had to confront the possibility of having a larger career, something that goes beyond acting in the Second City and living at his mom's house until he gets fired from the Second City and runs into an old acting acquaintance who's playing a character giving out free treats outside of a pirate-themed restaurant. Hey, James! Yeah? Larry! Larry? It's... Larry! It's Larry! What are you doing? You're dressed like a pirate. Yeah. What does pirates have to do with hot dogs? Uh, listen, you gotta do me a big favor. I got a big audition at 11, and my boss won't let me leave unless I get somebody to cover for me. Not me. Come on, man, you owe me. Well, what's the audition for? Uh, Marty. Marty? Yeah, Marty. Panachevsky's Marty? I guess. Well, why would they remake Marty? That makes no sense. Marty's a perfect movie. Won Academy Award. Ernest Borgnine won an Academy Award. I have a video version with Rod Steiger. I've seen it a million times. It takes place in New York, not Chicago. My readings this afternoon. Who's the casting director? Burl Canasta. Burl Canasta? He loves me. Why didn't Burl Canasta bring me in? I'm perfect for Marty. That makes no sense. Would you cover for me? I've always wanted to do anything but Pachayevsky. And now they're remaking Marty. Wait, who's Paddy Chayefsky? Who's Paddy Chayefsky? He's one of the greatest writers that's ever lived. He wrote Marty. He won an Academy Award for it. I'm sorry, I didn't know. He also wrote Network. Is that the movie where everyone uh, yells out the window? Yes, that's what it's about. People yelling out the window. Yeah, I didn't see it. I remember it. Oh, that's beautiful. Please do me this one favor. You owe me. A couple of years ago, you made uh, this movie called I-, I Want Someone to Eat Cheese With. And it's about... Uh, it's about a character that feels a, a lot like you, uh, a comedy performer at the Second City, a young man in Chicago. Yes. Um, and his essential conflict is that he's he doesn't know how to find love. Um, but also he has that Chicago issue of the fact that you can, there, there's a kind of career that you can make and then there's not much more beyond that that's exactly right and by the way for a lot of people they should be doing that i know too many people in la who are struggling and i know that's what they're going to end up doing for the rest of their career whereas if they were in chicago they could be acting in plays getting parts in movies that are filmed there um teaching i mean there's so much that they could do and earn a living in chicago so the character is definitely conflicted. Do I go for it all in Los Angeles or do I stay in Chicago where I love it and I'm comfortable? I want to play this uh, clip from the movie. This is your character uh, at uh, uh, an elementary school career day giving a talk on being an actor and 
essentially dropping the ball pretty significantly. Pretty significantly, yes, indeed. Kids, hi, kids. I'm uh, I'm uh, Penelope's uncle. Well, I'm not really her uncle. I'm actually her dad's best friend, but she calls me uncle. Yeah. Well, uh, what do I do? I'm an actor. Uh, I've been doing this for about uh, 20 years now. Wow, 20 years. You would have thought I would have made it already, you know? I mean, that's a long time, 20 years. Did you hear they're remaking Marty? Yeah, remaking Marty. I don't know why, why would they make remake Marty? It makes no sense. I would have been a perfect Marty. Question, yeah, go ahead, my friend. I'm bored. What? I'm bored. What? He's bored. Oh, all right, uh, bored. Um, uh, I, you know, the really, the big thing for me is I need somebody to love. I want somebody to love. That's the thing that's missing for me, is somebody to love. And I did meet this one girl, but she's kind of a nutbag. Or maybe I'm the nutbag for digging her, you know? Who knows? Do we really pick who we fall in love with, or does it just happen? Uh, you know, bottom line is, I need to get laid. When I say laid, I mean a nap. Did you have a point in, in your career where you felt as sort of unconvinced by yourself as your character in that movie seemed to? That's about the only thing in the movie that's autobiographical. Everything else is is imagined, but I felt like that, yes. When was that? That was in 19, the late 80s, the late 80s. I hadn't developed yet because I did stand-up and I did imp- improvising with Second City. When I went on stage at Second City, the audiences loved me, but my peers did not respect me. In the world of stand-up, I would go on stage, and the audiences, I confused them to no end, but the other (laughs) comedians thought I was the funniest thing ever. Okay? So those two things were going on. And, uh, you know, also, I really wanted to be successful and famous and i thought oh it's going to happen any second and what happened was two things happened one was everything equaled out uh, eventually to where i got respect and i as a person said i don't care about fame i just care about being great and it'll happen when it'll happen that's when everything started to happen for me do you think that that was a, a causal relationship? Do you think something about you letting go was what led to your your career changing? I haven't thought about it, but if I was uh, guessing right now, I would say yes. The other big conflicts in in the movie are romance and body type and image. Yes, yes, being heavy which is a difficult struggle, which I've been fighting against. I've lost a significant amount of weight. I haven't had sugar in over two and a half years. Um, I haven't had fast food in about two and a half years, a little over two and a half years. And um, I'm still fighting. It's a fight. See, that's the thing about it is it's not where there's uh, uh, it's over. It's a constant battle. Although I have to say, after about the first two, three weeks, maybe a month of not eating sugar, it gets a lot easier. I don't crave it. How what, Your character in the film, um, there's a very deep relationship between the eating and emotional stuff. Right. 
was was that there for you as well, or is that? Oh, no, that's definitely for me. The other thing that's autobiographical in the film, actually, is my sitting by the left field wall of Wrigley Field, having just gone to 7-Eleven and gotten, ho-ho, gotten ho-hos and chocolate milk and all sorts of crap and just sat there and said, this is going to be the last time I do it. And the thing that I had in the movie that I had to cut because, boy, oh, boy, everyone I showed it to did not believe it, and that was... When something good happened to me, I went and I ate. See, the thing about being a compulsive overeater and having an eating disorder is that you eat for to knock down any emotion, good or bad. Feelings, it's got to go. Did you always feel uh, comfortable in your body as, as part of being a, a comfortable as a performer? More so than other people, yes, but no, I did not always feel so comfortable. You know, I get nervous before I go on. Now, you know, now and for for many years, I, 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 many years, I could be eating a slice of pizza and someone go, "You're on," and I'd either say, "Hold this," or I'd finish eating on stage. I wouldn't think about it. But I went through a period in my life I remember distinctly where I had horrible, horrible stage fright when I first started Second City. Uh, to where I'd throw up before I went on stage. And the only way I got through that was to keep on working and working and working. And then finally, after, I'd say, three, four months, it went away. Was part of the uh, the relationship that you had with your, uh, uh, with your peers at, at the Second City and part of that lack of respect that um, they or audiences or you thought of you as, as just a fat guy comedian? Well, you know, the New York Times even, I think, had a headline, will I still be funny if I lose weight? And I'm thinking, yeah, of course. I'm just funny. My weight has nothing to do with it. My weight is strictly a topic. You know, it's for certainly an emotional topic and a personal topic, but it's a topic. The way if if my hair was interesting or my eyes were interesting or, you know, let's say I had 3D vision, I would obviously talk about that. You know, my weight is something to talk about, but not necessarily who I am. Who do you think of now as as who you are as a, it sounds a little bit pretentious, but like as an artist, like, do you feel like you've, you've found a place where you want to be? No, I'll never get there. Really? Why not? Because life's too short. There's no way. I mean... Am I pleased with where I am? Forget success-wise, but artistically, as compared to six months ago or a year ago, hell yes. I'm always growing. It's ironic because I aspire to be a wise man. I aspire to be somebody that knows more. Um, That knows. I shouldn't even say knows more. Knows. And I sort of going to leave that hanging. I want to be someone who knows. And I work towards that all the time. But do we ever really know? And whatever that is, no, I don't think we do. I think life's too short for that. If I had 100,000 years, maybe. Maybe. I don't know, you know. Um, but I aspire to be uh, to wa- be wise and kind. It's not a bad aspiration as far as that goes. No, it's not. I mean, I aspired that more than anything else, more than monetary success, more than anything. That's what I want to be, um, kind and wise. That's really what I – and I am kind and wise, but I always want to be kinder 
and wiser. Well, Jeff, I, I sure appreciate you taking the time to be on The Sound of Young America. It was, it was really great to have you on the show. Well, I enjoy The Sound of Young America, and I always want to hear The Sound of Young America, and I like being with you, and I thank you so very, very much. Well, thanks so much. Jeff Garland is, of course, one of the stars of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is running on HBO in its eighth. And uh, who knows? Maybe it's the final season. Maybe, had, maybe not. I had a few. Year. <laughs> um, and he is also the writer, director and star of I Want Someone to Eat Cheese With, which uh, is out on video now. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer, Julia Smith. Our editor, Nick White. Our music provided by Dan Wally. Our intern is Paulo Balboa. Special thanks this week to Paul Ruest at the Argo Studios for engineering the New York side of my conversation with Jeff Garland. If you want to download this show or any of our past interviews, you can do it for free at MaximumFun.org or in iTunes. Just search for The Sound of Young America. While you're at MaximumFun.org, I encourage you to check out all of our other programs like the comedy advice show, My Brother, My Brother and Me, the comedy judge program, Judge John Hodgman, and my own comedy talk show, Jordan Jesse Go. They're all at MaximumFun.org and they're all absolutely free. That's about it for us this time. See you next week on The Sound of Young America. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com.